This has not been a very good year, the past 12 months, for no. the cause of liberty. But that does not mean that we should despair or that we should give up because that's how the other side wins. Hey guys, it's Haley. Welcome to Kindle. This is episode 144. Today I have a conversation all about the Great Reset with Justin Haskins. But before I get into that conversation, I do want to let you know about a couple fun announcements here in Kindle land. So I got the request a couple times this week from uh, members of my Patreon community, which for those of you who don't know, is a community of women who receive bonus episodes from me every single Friday, in addition to this podcast. Those are called Firestarters. They release every Friday, and they are just me and the mic, 15 to 30 minutes, discussing cultural, political, social, and theological topics from a biblical worldview. These are something I started just this fall, and the community has grown to already over 30 women. Um, I would love to have you join us in there, not only so you can get the bonus episodes, but so that you can also get the new feature that I am adding as of this month. We are going to be doing live monthly Google Hangouts all together at the same time. Um, for anyone who wants to join anyways, we're going to hop on to a Hangout um, in a space where we can all see each other's faces discuss uh, a certain topic or a discussion topic that I will let you know ahead of time. Uh, we can do some Q&A, but mostly we can just hang out and chat and get to know each other a little bit better. Because if you are anything like me, you sometimes feel isolated, even in the midst of your very full and busy life uh, in the way that you see the world. And you realize that you don't always have people in your life to discuss things with that uh, that you're thinking about, that you are learning about, whether it be through this podcast or others or reading about. Um, a lot of you are not in communities that enable you to do that. And while I never want to be a uh, replacement for your church or you getting involved in a small group community, I realize that that doesn't even, uh, just being engaged in those places does not necessarily guarantee that you find people who are uh, you know interested in talking in that way and on that level with you. That's part of why I started this podcast, because I didn't have people like that in my real life. And um, while I do now, at the time I didn't, and I realized it would have been very encouraging to me to be able to have some discussions on a more intellectual level um, that also obviously worked their way into my life and into my heart. But being able to discuss things with people who understand what it is that I'm learning about and, and what I'm uh, concerned about in the world or thinking about realizing that my faith needs to impact. Um, so I want to provide a space for you to do that. And the Patreon community is now going to be that place. We're going to have these monthly Google Hangouts, um, again, for anyone who wants to join who is in the community. If you would like to join us, get those bonus episodes every Friday, as well as the opportunity to just spend a little bit more time with me and the other ladies who are in this community already who have self-identified as people who really uh, are wanting to learn how to think through tough issues that are often very controversial from a biblical worldview, this would be a great place for you to do that. You can join us at patreon.com slash kindled podcast. The last thing I want to ask you for today is to leave a review for Kindled. If you've been listening for a while and enjoying the content that I am sharing here, I would encourage you to hop over to the um, Apple podcast app and uh, scroll down on my podcast uh, show page, 
click leave a review. You could just select a number of stars and then you leave a few words about what you're, you know, what you appreciate about the show or why you listen and click submit. It really will take you about 90 seconds. Um, And if you don't have an iPhone, you can easily hop over to my Instagram profile and click the link in my profile. And I have a link there that takes you directly to uh, the the link to leave a review and it'll open up in your browser if you don't have the podcast app. So please do that if you haven't. It just helps the show get found and it's a really easy and free way for you to kind of help me beat the algorithms, which are forever against shows like mine. Okay, guys, that is all that I have in the way of announcements. So now I will uh, get right into my conversation with Justin Haskins. Justin, thank you so much for joining me on Kindled. Thanks for having me. It's great to be with you. So could you tell listeners who you are and what you do? Sure. So uh, my name is Justin Haskins. I'm the editorial director at the Heartland Institute and also the head of our Stopping Socialism project there. Uh, Heartland is a free market, national free market, pro-liberty think tank, kind of like the Heritage Foundation or the Cato Institute. Um, except we're based in uh, America's heartland. We're based in the Chicago suburbs. So mm-hmm. a little bit different of a focus. We tend to focus a lot on state-specific policies across mm-hmm. the country, not just federal policy. Um, and we also have this huge socialism project that I've been running now for um, about two years. My focus has been pretty heavily focused on that one thing specifically. Uh, so I spend a lot of time giving speeches, going on television, writing articles. I have a column at Fox News and I've worked for The Blaze before in the past and I've been published just about everywhere you can imagine in right-wing press. So um, I spend a lot of time talking to young people about socialism and trying to convince people that socialism is absolutely not the right way to go for the United States. Uh, so that's really my focus. And from that emerged this interest in our topic for today, the Great Reset. Yeah. Yeah, you absolutely are um, an expert on both of those topics. And I think a lot of us probably feel like we're a little bit late to the game on understanding and knowing just what the Great Reset is just how close we actually may be to socialism that we might've thought, oh, you know, that's no, there's no way that's going to happen here. You know, we've got the constitution, we've got the bill of rights. We have this uh, government that was founded on biblical principles and ideals. And so I think we've probably felt a little more insulated than we really were. Uh, And I just, I, I, I'm speaking for myself. I feel like I am doing a lot of catch up in the last year or so um, realizing just how many people actually think socialism is a good idea. So maybe we could even start there. I was reading some statistics this morning that uh, I believe it was 71% of millennials say they are they are somewhat likely or extremely likely to vote for a socialist candidate and 60% of Gen Z. Does that sound accurate from, from your research? Yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of different um, polls that it varies. Usually it varies between, you know, 35% up to the numbers you were just giving uh, for younger people and their support mm-hmm. for socialism, 18 to 39 year olds. Um, the, the sort of, I think usually it falls right around half of young mm-hmm. people have a favorable view of socialism or think socialism is more attractive than free market capitalism. And so there, there is no question about it whatsoever. It is, dis, it's a disturbing trend. Um, If there's anything positive that can be taken out of it, I think it's that most people, younger people, 
um, including people, some people on the right, but especially on the left, they really don't even understand what socialism is. Right. Um, if you ask them questions about socialism, if you talk to them about socialism and you try to figure out what it is they believe, when you actually dig deeply into their ideology, you find out that really it boils down to we want single payer healthcare because we don't want people to be without health insurance and we want $15 minimum wage. And that's pretty much it. I mean, that's the vast wow. majority of people. Maybe the Green New Deal is thrown in there too because they're worried about climate change. But they, don't, they haven't actually read Karl Marx. They don't know anything about the history of socialism. They think socialism is Sweden, Norway, and Denmark, when in reality, those are not socialist countries. Um, and so I think there's a real education problem um, across the board in all sorts of topic areas, but especially when it comes to socialism. People just flat out don't know what it is but it sounds nice. And yeah. so people, because it's got a good marketing campaign behind it and good branding uh, and the media likes it a lot, mm -hmm. you get a lot of people who say, yeah, hey, I'm a socialist. I think that's a great idea. But then when you actually start digging into it, most people I think actually are not socialists. They just don't realize it. Yeah, we've definitely got a huge education gap, which I, I think we can thank the public education system for, um, <laughs> for sure. failing, failing people and really helping them understand what it is, why it doesn't work. And, and even just looking at history, I mean, in 5,000 years of recorded history, never once has it worked. <laughs> and so, and yet we see people with these rose colored glasses on that can only be possible because they don't know history. They've not actually studied, they've not actually seen where has this been implemented before. Um, you would think that people would be asking those basic questions, but it, it seems that they're really not because they have been so easy to convince just with, like you said, a good branding campaign, a little bit of marketing, some hot young new faces and some, you know, some trendy ads on Instagram and, and there it is. And you've got an entire generation who's like, yeah, sounds great. Where do I sign? Um, yeah. Which is concerning for those of us who are like, wait, what? It was that easy? You know, like, <laughs> I, I think this is often how conservatives feel is like, wait, how did, how is it that easy to, to get you to buy in? And then, and then we're trying to undo the narrative that has already been put in place, which is unfortunate, I think, for, that that is often kind of the um, that has been, I guess, historically, I would say it's shifting now, um, but it seems like that's historically been our approach. Would you agree with that? Yeah, without question. I think that the biggest thing beyond just people being ignorant of the history of socialism and how it has just been a horrible failure, as you pointed out, thousands and thousands of years of human history, it's been tried in all sorts of different ways. It has literally never, ever worked, not one single time. Um, more than 150 million people were killed, prisoned, or, exec or exiled by socialist and communist parties in just the 20th century alone. Socialism is literally the most dangerous ideology that has ever existed. And yet we keep trying it over and over and over again because there are certain intellectual elites who buy into it. And I think many of them, some of them are just power-hungry monsters. Others actually legitimately believe in Karl Marx's ideas about communism and sort of this communistic utopian vision for the world. And they think this is all inevitable and it's going to happen. Um, but then once they actually start trying it, they have to sort of become tyrants to keep the thing rolling along. Otherwise, it just completely falls apart. Um, and in the process of that, what they, what they do is they play on people's, not just their fears, but the, the anguish that they're feeling in their lives at that particular moment. And that's manifested itself in a whole bunch of different ways throughout the course of human history. In Karl Marx's day, it was, it was the working class 
people who were struggling under really horrible work conditions and factories and things like that, where it was just a horrible place to work in the industrial revolution at times, there were a lot of people who felt like they were trapped. They felt like they were victims of the system. There were people getting rich off of their labor and they felt like that was really, really unjust and unfair. There was child labor was, was very common. Um, people had moved out of the countryside into these cities in search of a better life. And then they found themselves essentially trapped in these jobs that they couldn't get out of with poor working conditions. And if they tried to organize, then these big uh, business owners would basically just uh, fire them and hire new people. And then they'd be out of jobs and destitute. And so that was the world that he, he lived in. And he used that to build these theories and come up with all of these ideas for how this would, system would keep getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse until we would just have this communist revolution. When in reality, that didn't happen. The opposite happened. People became wealthy over time. They had more rights. Life improved. Work days became shorter. You know, we abolished child labor. We have better work standards. The exact opposite of what Karl Marx predicted. But over the course of time, new communist revolutions have emerged based on different problems for that part of society. And in our world today, where people are generally, the quality of life is very good, they play on income inequality. And they say, well, yeah, maybe your life isn't as bad as it was 100 years ago. Maybe people live generally pretty well, but there's still all this suffering that exists in the world. And there are people who have lots of money. And if we had that money, then life would be so much better for all of us. And so there, there always will be a societal problem that socialists will be able to point to, and then they'll blame it on free markets because that's the boogeyman for everything to them and use that to create this perpetual movement for a, a communist revolution until they get it. And then it collapses and you get total tyranny and bloodshed and just absolute, or at, least, at the very least an economic collapse. Mm -hmm. And then from there, you have to rebuild society again. And this pattern just continues over and over and over again across every culture, every continent, every religious group. It always ends the same way. Mm -hmm. um, but because of that sort of wildly idealistic desire for a utopia mixed with this, this great desire among certain people in society for power, you will always have this movement forever, I think. You'll always have it and there will always be people trying to fight against it and warn against it. Mm -hmm. And I and I feel like that's what people like us are in the midst of doing right now. We're seeing this strong push for socialism in our own country. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be a challenge to push back against it and stop it. But I think yeah. we can do it. Yeah, you gave a great overview there for anyone who is not familiar with the history. Um, and, and I think most people that will listen to this show will go, yeah, I know socialism's bad. Um, I at least could tell you that. I might not be able to articulate why, but I, I don't think that it's a biblical model of government. I don't believe in the principles that it is founded upon. And so I can say no to it for those reasons. But let's kind of shift gears towards the Great Reset, because when you start talking about that, what from my experience, even within uh, my Christian circles and my friends who are believers um, or even conservatives, I, I sense some hesitation, cons uh, uh, skepticism maybe around that term of, wait, what are you talking about? This, that sounds like a conspiracy. When you say the great reset, you know, they, they, they get their little uh, antennas up and yeah. they, and they kind of turn off from there. Um, so can you talk to us about what the great reset is and 
how that is related to everything we just discussed. Right. So, so the Great Reset is a, a left-wing movement. Um, it's not a communist movement. It's not a Marxist movement, but it is unquestionably a left-wing movement. Um, that really the, the most, the modern iteration of it began earlier in 2020, or now we're in 2021. So in mid 2020, uh, started by this group called the World Economic Forum, which is this very powerful nonprofit based in Switzerland mm -hmm. that does this big conference every year that you've probably heard of called Davos. Um, and it brings together all of the world's most powerful business people, uh, many world leaders go to this. The United Nations is almost always involved in it in some fashion. World, uh, the uh, International Monetary Fund, mm -hmm. um, et cetera. They all go to Davos and they meet and they discuss how to deal with social problems, usually from a left-wing perspective. Um, but they're not anti-business. They like businesses. They just want to use the government to control businesses to pursue left-wing causes. Mm -hmm. So the most... So in the midst of the COVID pandemic, um, what the World Economic Forum and their allies realized was that this was a, what Prince Charles, who's heavily involved in all of this, called the golden opportunity to take control of the world economy and to create a reset, to push the reset button on the global economy. That's where the phrase great reset comes from. The Great Reset is really just a marketing slogan uh, created by these people. It's not something that I invented or some right-wing person invented. They're the ones that came up with this term, the Great Reset, because they wanted to, in their own words, again, push the reset button on the global economy, restart uh, capitalism, and create a completely new economic system that um, isn't entirely socialistic, but is is definitely more in that direction. It's a system where um, there's really two main components to it. The first main component is that you would have big, giant social uh, programs, welfare programs, and other kinds of jobs programs. For for instance, the Green New Deal is a big part of this. Um, the uh, federal jobs guarantee is a part of this, other basic income programs, et cetera. That's the first big part, what you would normally think of as your typical progressive or socialist policies. Mm -hmm. But in addition to that, they, want, they don't want to get rid of big corporations. Um, they want them to pay more taxes and they want them to engage in this whole new system called ESG standards. And these stands for environmental, social, and governance standards. And what those are is essentially a framework for changing the way we measure companies so that instead of looking at a company and saying, well, how good are their products and how much money do they make and, and how well do they pay their employees? They would look at those things, but then they would also look at how woke they are. How good are they at engaging in left-wing causes like um, limiting their CO2 emissions and uh, you know, making sure that they have enough um, African-Americans on the board of directors and on and on and on. Um, so it measures, it changes the way we measure companies so that a company that makes less money and is less efficient and uh, makes products that are not as good as their competitors, but is, is a little more woke, that that company will be valued higher than the company that's not engaging in these left-wing causes. Right. Um, and so it's a combination of those two pieces mm -hmm. and how they motivate companies to be engaged in that ESG system is a whole nother sort of in the weeds thing, but um, that's the two main components of the Great Reset. So they launched this movement in June of, of 2020, 
And over the past several months, they've gotten massive buy-in from all sorts of global leaders like Justin Trudeau in Canada, uh, Boris Johnson in the United Kingdom. Um, the head of the United Nations has come out in favor of it. Uh, the leader of the International Monetary Fund has come out in favor of it. Uh, there's strong connections to Joe Biden. John Kerry, who's the incoming climate czar for the Biden administration, has spoken numerous times in favor of it and has, and has openly said that Joe Biden is going to support this, that it's going to happen, that it's already started. Um, so this movement is happening. It is real. It isn't a conspiracy theory. Um, it sounds like a conspiracy theory, of course, mm -hmm. because, you know, it's this cabal of these international elites and bankers and other people at the World Economic Forum sort of creating a new world order. Uh, but that's legitimately what they're calling for. And there is a mountain of quotes that show them in their own words demanding these kinds of things. Um, and if people just take the time to read the quotes, go through the evidence, they'll see that's exactly what they're trying to do. Okay, so playing devil's advocate or, or just voicing some of the concerns I've heard when I bring this up and say, this is real, it's not a conspiracy. Okay, but the, the Democratic Party is not as extreme as those extremists that you've kind of named, you know, the AOCs, the Bernies, the John Kerrys, the Kamala Harrises. The bulk of the Democratic Party is not that extreme. So I just don't see how you could pull that off. How, how are you proposing that they're going to pull this off when... Uh, when most of them are, are not really as extreme as, as those on the furthest left. Right. Well, interestingly, um, I, 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 think that, I, I think that that's always been true of left-wing movements. I think that many of the people who are just sort of your average Jane or average Joe walking down the street doesn't necessarily buy into everything that mm -hmm. the left is calling for. But at the end of the day, they're putting those people into positions of power who are making mm -hmm. decisions. Right. And the government, based on what we saw in the, in the election in November, the government is going to be run by people who overwhelmingly support most of these ideas. Right. Uh, the Senate is going to be controlled by the Democrats. The House is still controlled by the Democrats. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, and Kamala Harris, I think, is just a flat-out socialist, yeah. uh, are going to be in the White House. Mm -hmm. And these people have all signed up for it to varying degrees. Mm -hmm. So it is going to happen. And then, and then the other thing that I think is important for people to understand is that a lot of this has already started to happen. Mm -hmm. um, and Republicans have actually gone along with some of this stuff as well. Uh, for example, it used to be unthinkable, absolutely unimaginable, that, that the federal government of the United States of America could print several trillion dollars more than it has, spend several trillion dollars more than it has in a single year. That was unthinkable several years ago. Um, Barack Obama once said that the debt that George W. Bush amassed was so large, it was unpatriotic, okay? <laughs> and that was a tiny little fraction of what they're spending now every year under both Republicans and Democrats. Mm -hmm. And that's a big part of this, because if you can spend an infinite amount of money, and that is part of the Great Reset, this idea that we can just print as much money as we need, basically mm -hmm. to pay for anything we're doing, as long right. as you control your own currency. Um, if, you could, if you have that kind of power, then you could do basically anything. And you don't even need to pass a law in some cases to do that. The Federal Reserve can just print this money and distribute it to people. And mm -hmm. so we're already seeing that happen under Republicans. And we're sending two, we're about to send $2,000 checks potentially to, to mm -hmm. people who didn't even lose their jobs 
I mean, that's the kind of thing we're talking about now. So this is happening. This used to be crazy. Now it's just mainstream. It's, it's, you're crazy if you don't support free $2,000 checks, sending that out to people and spending trillions of dollars more than you have. So while I do think regular people still don't necessarily buy into a lot of this stuff, they don't want the World Economic Forum and United Nations and all these big international elites controlling the economy, resetting the economy, engaging these kinds of activities. I I totally believe that that's true. Mm -hmm. Um, They're putting people into place who do want that and who Mm -hmm. are engaging in those actions. Yeah. And so it seems unavoidable that that's where we're headed. I got to interrupt this episode real quick to let you know one more way I might be able to help you. In addition to having these conversations on topics that are just incredibly controversial and hard, there's another thing that I do, and that's WordPress web design and graphic design. Yes, that's right. I am a logo and web designer in my day-to-day work. I'm a stay-at-home mom, as many of you know, work-at-home mom, actually. This is the work that I do for my clients and that I have been doing for almost a decade, and I love it. Whether you need a new logo, a brand refresh, a new WordPress website, some email marketing campaigns put together, social media templates, I don't know what you need in your small business, but whatever it is, I can help you. If the idea of having a one-woman creative team on your team sounds good, let's chat. My website is hwilliamscreative.com. Back to my conversation with Justin. Yeah, I think that's a great, that's, that's exactly it. Uh, and I, I almost, maybe this is an over, oversimplification. I would love to know your thoughts, but the $2,000 check thing, it's, to me, it's a microcosm of exactly how socialism gets the, the hook, the hook, the line, and the sinker. It's, it's how it, how it lures and tempts and seduces people into the promise of wealth, prosperity, provision, security, health, all the things the government thinks that they're going to be able to provide or, or, or maybe doesn't even think they will, but it's what they have to offer to get people to say yes. Um, and then, you know, and, and then that's how they, they get you because you, I mean, who doesn't want $2,000 for instance? I mean, of course, everybody likes free money. Like we all would, would say, yeah, great. If you want to give me 2000 bucks, I'd love it. However, what you don't realize is what comes along with that is the, you know, you're signing on. It's like, it's like signing a death wish ultimately for the economy, for, uh, inflation for competition, natural, you know, natural selection of business with the best products who makes the thing that the most people want that is, that is really deemed the best by supply and demand that goes away because of all the things you explained with, you know, now the new standards, the ESG standards, the how woke can you get? And, and then now what we have in Venezuela, a 438% inflation rate, um, hyperinflation rate, because that's where it leads. And now people can't afford to buy bread and milk and there's, and the government cannot produce the supplies it's people's need. And they're standing in lines for hours and they're, the babies in hospitals are dying because they're having power outages and infants are dying because they can't be kept on life support. I mean, that's how you get, I feel like this is sort of the microcosm of it. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I do think this is the starting point. Once you, once you convince people that you can just print an infinite amount of money, then you really have given whoever can print an infinite amount of money unlimited power over people's right. lives. And, and, and a lot of people tend to think of government power as sort of this, well, are they going to come and confiscate my land? Are they going to confiscate my property? Are they throwing people in prison? That's all part of it. But in the modern world, mm-hmm. 
you don't need to confiscate someone's land or take their business or uh, throw them in prison in order to control them. All you need to do is print lots of money and then give it to only the people who believe the things that you believe and not to everyone else. And if you just give the money to the people you like and not to everyone else, then those people will go out of business. Those people will become economically dependent on you. They will have no options and no choice in life. They will be forced to vote for politicians that continue to expand the power of government because they'll be dependent on them for that. And it won't matter anymore whether or not it's good for the economy or not good for the economy because people are become so dependent and so desperate on the money that they have no choice but to go along with it anyway. Mm-hmm. And, and we've seen this, this sort of cycle of government creating economic conditions that lead to economic crises and then that exacerbating by them creating more crises in order to fix the crisis that they just created. Mm-hmm. So for example, this is what happened in the 2000s when you had the tech bubble burst and the Federal Reserve came out and decided that they were going to pump lots of cheap money into the economy by keeping interest rates low. And so lots, it was very easy to get money. It was very easy to to get loans in the 2000s to buy a house, to buy a second house, to buy a third house. And people were getting all these houses they had no business getting. Then this created a massive bubble in the real estate market. And that led to a gigantic financial collapse in 2008, which then caused the Obama administration to come in and the Bush administration at the end of that as well, to print lots more money and to keep interest rates really low, to get people to lend more money so that they could prop all these markets back up again in order to try to keep things from a total collapse. And that led to all sorts of distortions that we still have now. And now we have these massive bubbles today. We have just gone through, and we still are going through, one of the worst global economic collapses in history with the COVID-19 pandemic and the lockdowns and everything. Just a massive crisis. And yet the stock market has never been higher. Why? Why is that? I mean, does anyone really think the economy is in great shape? No. Why is the stock market so high? Why are real estate prices still high? The reason, the reason for that is because the government is printing money and pumping it into these marketplaces and creating massive inflation in these areas. They're creating a bubble that's going to pop. And when it pops, we're going to have another crisis and that's going to require more government action and on and on and on we go. And in countries that have done this before, you either get massive hyperinflation that leads to huge problems with poverty and and often with tyranny and other things, or you get stagnation where there's just no economic growth for decades. And we've actually seen this in Japan. Japan is actually the model for this. Most Americans know nothing about Japan. um, And so they don't understand the story of this, but Japan has actually more debt than the United States as a percentage of GDP. They have tons and tons of debt. They're one of the most indebted nations in the world. They've followed a very similar pattern to this where they've constantly been printing more and more money and pumping it into the economy. They've been doing this forever. Japan's GDP, GDP is the, you know, the measure that mm-hmm. basically all economists use to determine how large an economy is, is getting, how much it's growing from year to year. Japan's GDP has not grown at all since the 1990s. It's actually the same as it was 25, 30 years ago. It's not growing. The reason for that, the primary reason for that is because they're, they're 
following this ridiculously insane path that the United States is, is, is now on, where you're just printing lots of money, inflating the economy. It's not real economic growth. It leads to crashes, and then you've got to rebuild it. And, and it just puts government in an increasingly larger role in society. And because government can't manage anything, mm-hmm. you get no economic growth. And so that's where we're headed right now. That plus you lose your freedom in, in all of that as well because the government's in charge of everything. It's a really scary, it's a really scary thing. And yet I, I don't see us getting off of this path anytime in the near future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense the way you laid that out. And uh, I did not realize that about Japan, but that is, uh, I, I, again, I just think there's nothing new under the sun. That's a biblical principle and truth we should be looking to other countries that have pursued this path and, and seen, and we, we should be able to look at the fruit and go, okay, well, if the fruit is rotten, the root is rotten. And yet we're not because people are blind. But, um, but as far as COVID-19, because you just mentioned losing freedoms, tyranny, I think a lot of us um, had our eyes opened to just how powerful the government is when it comes to our individual liberties and freedoms and just how quickly on a dime things can shift in the face of a crisis, quote unquote. Now, I know a lot of people have uh, a lot of different ideas about what COVID-19 is. Uh, you know, I, I don't think most people are arguing it's not real or it's a hoax. We, we know it's a real virus. However, they're skeptical about the source of it and the whether it was basically used as a mechanism to cause all of this to kind of start churning and getting in, into play. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Right. So this is one of those areas where I think you are getting lots of people who talk about the Great Reset and and do have some conspiracy theories that I don't buy into that are related to this. Uh, there are a lot of people who believe that in order to usher in this new resetting of the whole global economy, that the COVID-19 pandemic was deliberately created in order to make that happen. In reality, what I think happened, and, and again, there's very few people on the face of the planet, I'm not necessarily proud of this, but there's very few people on the face of the planet who have read more Great Reset stuff than I have, mm-hmm. and have followed it as closely as I have. I have seen no evidence to suggest that that is what happened. But what is far more likely to have occurred is that for many years, people on the left have been preparing for something like this. It could have been this. It could have been some other kind of pandemic. It could have been global warming has been a big part of all of this, where they, they're waiting for this big crisis that gives them that golden opportunity to make these wholesale changes that ordinarily would not be considered uh, for even a moment by regular people. They just would never allow it politically, especially in a country like the United States, where we have this long tradition of somewhat free markets and with personal liberty. Um, And when the COVID pandemic, 19 pandemic initially hit, I think at first governments were just, it was just a, a cover your butt sort of thing, right? And that's how politicians often act. It's, they didn't wanna, they didn't know how dangerous it was going to be some people were out there saying that a million or more people were going to die just in the United States, no matter what they did, no matter how severe of lockdowns they had. And so I think a lot of politicians initially just wanted to shut everything down because they were so afraid that this could get wildly out of control and that people would be dying everywhere um, and that hospitals would be completely overrun by it and wouldn't be able to handle all of these new cases and patients. Um, But then what they realized, I think it didn't take them very long, is they realized that 
that wasn't really what was going on. It was going to be bad, but it wasn't going to be as bad as they thought. But, you know, there's all these great opportunities that can come from us taking advantage of the fact that we've got this big crisis, right? It's the Rahm Emanuel slogan. You never let a great crisis go to, you never let a crisis go to waste, right? The, mm-hmm. And the left never does. So it became, again, the golden opportunity. How do we use this to fix all of the problems that we think already exist in society? People may be unwilling to change prior to this moment, but now when there are millions of people losing their jobs, mm-hmm. when there's all sorts of uh, economic crises going on, people are afraid. Now is a prime opportunity to enact these big radical changes. And so I believe that that's what it was. They'd been preparing for this. There's lots of evidence that they had been preparing for a pandemic, to use a pandemic to make changes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that they deliberately orchestrated some sort of release of a virus in order to create this this whole mm-hmm. crisis. I think they were just waiting for their opportunity. And when the opportunity came, they quickly seized it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so as we are starting to move into the next phase, and, and I think probably none of us really understand what the future is going to hold completely. We, we don't really know how this is going to play out, just how extreme a Biden administration will be in, um, in really pushing these policies forward. I know he has been very vocal about he will be a president for all Americans and he is a moderate. And that's the, that's the narrative is he's just a moderate. However, um, there's very few uh, people on the right who, who have doubt that he will, he will not be, the one driving the ship ahead. You know, there, there are other forces at play who will be um, maybe pushing this agenda. How do we talk about this with, with our friends without sounding crazy? Because that's how I always feel whenever I bring this up or if it comes into the conversation or I see an opportunity to kind of discuss some of the ideas out there, I feel kind of like the crazy person or, or the, I, I don't know, the fear mongerer in a sense. Um, I think you, you don't seem that way. How do you do it? How do you come off as level-headed and, um, and just wise and perceptive to everything that's going on without kind of being like, uh, hey guys, oh my gosh, they're trying to push the great reset button on the world. And, and most people just find that too hard to believe that there's a coordinated effort amongst all these global elites. They just, they just don't want, or, or maybe it's too scary for them and they keep their head buried in the stand. I'm not sure, okay. but, but what would be your advice for us in that in that capacity. Right. Well well I think that's a great question. I think that the first the first step to approaching people who have not heard of this is actually I think not to use the words the great reset because it sounds so crazy. It's amazing that they chose that as their as their slogan right. because it's such a terrible slogan to choose, yeah. really. It sounds crazy. Yeah. I would I I think I would start with um the idea that there are corporations, large, powerful corporations and international institutions that want to take, that want to, you know, push a radical agenda on the world, including the United States. And you start from there and you work your way out. And I think that the the next step from that is to actually show them some of the quotes that these people are saying, show them in their own words. Don't, don't just say, don't summarize it for them. Uh, show them the quotes that these people, because because the quotes speak for themselves. These things mm-hmm. that these people are saying are incredibly radical, um, and they're very open about it, and there is no disputing what it is. And so I think if you start from a place of concern and you say, I'm really worried and concerned about this, there's this, you know, big 
international push and Joe Biden's involved in this and they essentially they want to take power away from the United States and put sort of these global elites and bankers and big corporations in charge of most of the economy. And it's, it's really worrying to me. Have you seen some of the quotes from this? If you start from that perspective, I think actually most people don't trust big corporations. Right. On the right and the left. They, they right. hate big corporations. Well, that's just the irony of it. Like, I mean, even AOC's sweatshirt, tax the rich. It's just, I don't get how can you be so blatantly in support of, of these terrible ideas and yet sell the idea that you're against them. I just, I don't get it. Yeah, well, in the case of, of it, look, there's always been uh, a, a sort of a, a weird, bizarre contradiction on the left. Um, the left is not really a cohesive ideology. There's not a co cohesive ideology on the left. The left is a, an alliance of people, different factions and groups that have different ideologies, in some cases, very different ideologies. But they all have one thing in common, and that is that they don't like the traditional system and concepts that have, that, that have underguarded the United States of America from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. And they all want to tear that down and build something new. And so, for example, the, probably the best, one of the best examples of this is on the left, you have people who are truly radical Islamicists. You have that on the left. And you also have people on the left who are uh, feminists. Now, how can you have far left-wing feminists in the same camp with radical Islamicists who believe in Sharia law, which, you know, is the polar opposite, really, of, of feminism? How is that possible? It's only possible because they both ultimately want the same thing, and that is to tear down the existing system. You mm -hmm. also have people on the left calling for wide open borders. Mm -hmm. uh, wide open borders, no, no restrictions on immigration at all, but they also want strict gun control. Well, how can you have strict gun control if you don't even have control over your borders? It doesn't right. make any sense. Why, if you're concerned about global warming and you know that people in, in places like Mexico are on average uh, emitting less CO2 emissions than they are in the United States, why would you want those people to come to the United States and emit more CO2 emissions? Mm -hmm. So there's this huge contradictions, all these contradictions on the left that don't make any sense, but they all have that one thing in common. And that one thing in common is we want to tear down the existing system. And so AOC and, and, um, and Bernie Sanders, I don't think that they want big international corporations in charge of the economy, mm -hmm. but what they do want is single-payer healthcare. What they do want in government-run single-payer healthcare, and what they do want is the Green New Deal, and they do want all of these things that these people are also offering them. Mm -hmm. And so like with everything on the left, it's a trade-off. The AOCs of the world are willing to do business with the great reset types of the world in order to get something that they want. Mm. And it doesn't necessarily have to make sense because they're all moving in this on a piece by piece basis because they're all moving in the same direction. And that direction is let's tear down the existing system and let's rebuild it. And when we rebuild it, then we'll have this big infight between the mm -hmm. hard socialists and the people who are more of the great reset types and whatever. But that's for another day. For right now, let's just tear down the existing system. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's like they're all willing to kind of give ground on their principles just to get this plan in place, and then they'll talk about it later. <laughs> we'll, exactly. we'll, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Um, so that's, that's good advice. I think that, that I would see that, that that has held true in the conversations I've had, that that's where I see the most of the wide-eyed response that is uh, 
a little concerned maybe more about me than what I'm talking about when I say the Great Reset. So perhaps just leave that term out of it and describe what's actually happening with the corporations because most people don't have a hard time doubting or, or believing that corporations are greedy and want more market <laughs> right. share. That's not hard to imagine. So so just take that and, and then understand how um, how elites are leveraging that really for their own gain. Um, how, how do we, what do we do from here? I mean, I feel particularly powerless other than having this podcast and, and spreading the truth and, and doing some education around what these concepts really are. Is there anything else we can do? I mean, is it just on a one-to-one basis having conversations or what, what do you, what do you feel is the best way for us as believers and as people who see kind of what is happening, um, to our country, what's the best way to respond? Well, I mean, I think it, it, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in um, if you're speaking to someone who is a Christian, especially, that I, I think it's important for, for people who are, um, who are religious people, but especially Christians, to talk to other Christians about how really unchristian the left is. And I don't mean abortion. And I don't mean um, necessarily uh, any specific policy proposal in particular, but the whole concept that undergirds everything that exists on the left, every idea on the left is fundamentally in total opposition to Christian teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, what I, it, it, and there's a whole bunch of ways that you can approach that, I think. But the, the easiest way is the Bible is really clear about a lot of things. And one of those things is that you're not supposed to covet other people's property, right? Mm-hmm. That's a that's a core biblical teaching part of the Ten Commandments. You don't covet other people's property. You don't engage in envy and in greed and in lust over other people's possessions. You don't do that. And yet everything on the left is is based on that because everything that they do, when they say you're not paying your fair share, what do they mean by that? What they mean by that is look at those people over there. They have too much wealth. We should take it from them. How is that not coveting? That is coveting, of course. Um, when when you have people talking about, um, you know, because there are a lot of people on the left who talk about, well, you know, Jesus would have been uh, basically a liberal or even a socialist if he were alive today because he he's all about compassion and love and taking care of other people and helping the poor and all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but how? But how? But through voluntary action, not through a gunpoint, not by sending, you know, the police to your house to take your property away or take you away because you refuse to pay your taxes. That's not, I don't see that anywhere in scripture. So fundamentally, when you're talking to other Christians, I think it's important for everyone to understand that all, all of us, all Christian people, I think, especially in America, could be more generous. We could be more giving. We could do more in our own lives to help other people voluntarily. But if you are engaging in political activities that require forcing other people to violate their personal religious beliefs, to violate their property rights, to, to seize their property from them in some fashion, including their money, then you're not engaging, you're, you're actually violating biblical commands by doing that. And then the other thing that I would, I would uh, the other way that I would approach that same, similar kind of argument is that when when Jesus' disciples asked him what the most important commandment was, uh, he said that you have to love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. That was the first thing. And then he said the second thing, 
is that you should love your neighbor as yourself. Now, it's not love some of your neighbors as yourself. It's presumably you love all of your neighbors as yourself. And the left fundamentally at every level, every big social program, everything that exists, even the one that seems the most compassionate is fundamentally designed to treat some people better than other people, mm-hmm. to take care of some people at the expense of other people who may not want to do that voluntarily. And so for, for maybe the most, uh, one of the more recent examples of this that I don't think people really picked up on is when, when Barack Obama and Democrats passed the Affordable Care Act to provide people with more health insurance, better access to health insurance, that was seen as a compassionate action, right? We're going to provide people with more health insurance. But how do you do that? You do that by taking people's money from them, by f- which is not loving those people, forcing them to pay more money, and, and, and therefore they have lost out on opportunities to take care of themselves and their family members. Mm-hmm. But not only that, but also forcing businesses to violate their religious conscience by paying for all sorts of of healthcare services that they think is morally wrong. Mm -hmm. And they actually went to court and sued Roman Catholic nuns to try to force them to pay for um, abortifacients and and contraception, which is in violation of their religious beliefs Mm -hmm. for employees. Because why? Because they said it was good for those employees. Well, but good for those employees at the expense, and I don't think it is, by the way, but good for those employees at the expense of who? Of the nuns' religious beliefs, right? So are you really loving those nuns by doing Mm -hmm. that? Are you loving other devout Protestant Christians or or other people who are not even religious at all, but just think, I don't want to pay for people's contraception or I don't want to pay for people's abortions? Are you really loving those people when you force them to do Mm -hmm. something that is in deep violation of their beliefs? No, you're not. And the left, every leftist program operates the exact same way. It's, Mm -hmm. I love these people, so therefore I'm going to do something bad to you. Mm -hmm. That's not love. That's not, at least not everyone. And therefore it totally is in complete contradiction to Christian teachings. And I think if we could just get at least all Christians to understand that, Mm -hmm. that would be a step in the right direction. It's much harder to make moral arguments with people who don't believe in objective moral standards, which is so many people in our society. But at the very least, we should be able to win over the people who do believe in those concepts. Yeah. And as you were talking, I I thought about this, you know, that verse that you referenced, um, the full quotation is love your neighbor as yourself. As you said, I, there is a church in my, in my area that is very liberal. It's a United Methodist church. They have printed off these signs that say, love your neighbor. They're in yards all over Kansas city. And, uh, the thing about that is it's, it's not the full truth. It's just like Satan told Eve in the garden, you will be like God. It was partial truth in that she would see her nakedness. She would then have the understanding of, you know, of the fact that she had sinned and broken God's law. And there would be some revelation of, oh my gosh, here's what's, what's really my context now. And there would be ultimately death, but he said, you know, you will not surely die again, partial truth. She didn't die immediately. She died later and death was introduced to all of mankind, but love your neighbor with, if you leave off the, as yourself part, you're going to do exactly what you just described, which is you decide what love is for that person. But Jesus said to love your neighbor as yourself. Would you ever force yourself to do something that violates your own conscience? Would you for your own better 
better good or, or greater good do something that violates your own conscience? No, of course you wouldn't because it, it's inconsistent and no man actually does that, you know, and we have the law of God written on our hearts. We have our consciences that are, that are actually informed by his moral law. And so we, we don't go against what is in our own conscience. So we shouldn't make other people do that as well, which is exactly what you described. So even just that, if you leave off those two words as yourself, you leave off the, the, the way that Jesus says to love people, not just according to any arbitrary standard that is set, but as you love yourself, which is you you adhere to what you are guided by internally in your own beliefs, your own framework, your own worldview, allow other people to do the same. That's, that's it. You know, I mean, he did not force people to follow him. He said, come and follow me, but he left it up to them to decide to do it, you know? And so I think that's, um, that's an important thing too, just as we're talking about the, the, the scriptural evidence of, of how to love people. Um, are there any resources you would recommend for people to get more educated on this? Um, things that they should be reading, listening to, um, uh, you know, I know that you have, you have some great resources that you are editor in chief of, so you can talk about that as well. Sure. Yeah. It, it, um, if you go to stoppingsocialism.com, we have all sorts of, of great material about the great reset. Uh, you can find actually a great reset, um, sort of a menu option in the, in the menu of the website, the master menu of the website. If you just want to see the articles that are about the great reset. Um, I, if you also just Google Justin Haskins, great reset, you'll see about a million articles published all over the place in places like Fox news and the Hill and Fox business and elsewhere talking about the great reset. Um, I've also done some, uh, th there's also been some great things that have been done by, um, by Glenn Beck at The Blaze. Um, he's done a lot of great specials on The Great Reset. If you're interested in that, then I would check that out. Um, and Glenn and I are actually in the middle right now of writing a book on The Great Reset, which will hopefully be coming out either this month or next month. Wow. Um, we're in the very final stages of it. We're trying to rush it out as soon as possible. Um, mm -hmm. And so I'm really excited about that. That is going to be the first of its kind, full of all kinds of incredible information that nobody has ever seen before. And so I'm really excited about that. So be on the lookout for that as well. Uh, but, but I think more important than all of that is go to the World Economic Forum's website itself and read the articles that they have there. Listen to their own material about the Great Reset. Don't take my word for it. Don't take anyone else's word for it. Go directly to the source and read it for yourself while it's still up, because who knows if they'll leave it up. Um, but go and read it for yourself and you will see that, that I'm not exaggerating. I'm just simply accurately recording what these people believe and trying to piece all of these different things together. Cause there's, there's like a million different puzzle pieces out there related to this. Tying them all together is very difficult, but if you take the time to actually read what they have to say, you'll see that they are very open about what they want to do, that it's not a conspiracy theory. It's a conspiracy mm -hmm. fact. And if we just give them the opportunity to explain themselves, we will see that this is really a, a devout belief amongst many of these people. And it is not in any way something that's being imposed on them by some sort of right-wing conspiracy. Mm -hmm. So go directly to the sources. That's the best thing that you can do. Yeah. Okay. I have one final question because I just remembered my friend, Jamie, she wanted me to ask you this. Is there anything we can, I mean, is there any hope we have of stopping socialism now that Joe Biden is president? I mean, I think a lot of conservatives are feeling it's over. The fight is over. I know you're not going to stop fighting. I know I'm not going to stop fighting, but in some ways they're like, you know what? I, I don't, I don't think that yeah. we can ever come back from this. I don't, 
our country will be fundamentally changed. They're going to throw away the constitution. Like they're going to pack the court. I mean, there, there are some people who are very concerned right now and, and maybe even despairing. Yeah. What, what do you say to those people? Yeah. I mean, look, I, I think that there's a couple of ways that I would approach that. Um, The first is that from an American perspective, if you were to go back into time and it's really hard for people who are, uh, you know, younger people or certain people under the age of, let's say, 70 years old, you know, 60, 70 years old. <laughs> so most people. So most people. It's hard yeah. for them to put themselves in the mindset of what life was like in the 1930s and 40s and, mm-hmm. and some of that, the first half of the 20th century. Um, but if you were a conservative living in 1940s and you had just gone through World War II and Franklin Roosevelt, who's a far left-wing progressive, had won four presidential elections in a row. Democrats were in control of literally everything. You had them people being rounded up and thrown into concentration camps in California just because of their Japanese heritage and the color of the skin and the way that they look. You had the Supreme Court being completely overrun by far left-wing people. You would have thought with all those massive social programs, tax rates above, you know, I think it was like 90% or something like that it was the top tax rate mm-hmm. at some point in time. Uh, you would have thought that there's no way America survives to the, t- that's it, we're done, we're toast. Mm-hmm. And yet we managed to come out of that at some point in time, we managed to, to build our way out of it. And I don't think we're even remotely close to that level of time. We have to constantly be fighting. Um, we, we are, this has not been a very good year, the past 12 months for no. the cause of liberty. But that does not mean that we should despair or that we should give up because that's how the other side wins. You know, and if we're going to lose this battle in the long run, then that's God's will. And we can't control that. All we can do is make the decision to fight in our own lives and hope that by the providence of God, we find our way out of this. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing that I would say very briefly is that we are not, we have a tendency as, as Christians and not just as Christians, everybody in the West, in the modern West has a tendency to think of everything that happens in their lives as this is my personal story. And they think of it as though they're watching a movie where I'm the main character and all these things happen to me and good things and bad things and whatever. Mm -hmm. And, you know, but that's not the traditional way of understanding the world from a Christian worldview. Mm -hmm. The traditional way of understanding the world is not that this is your story. It's that we're part of a much larger narrative and we're just one small part of that larger narrative. And if you really truly believe in God and you really truly believe in what the scriptures say, then you believe that in the end, it all works out. It does all work out. That there is no reason to despair. That eventually Mm -hmm. we will get to the other side of this, wherever that means. Maybe that means America doesn't survive. You Mm -hmm. have to be okay with that. As long as we are all part of that larger narrative where we already know the ending and the ending of that narrative is that we win. Mm -hmm. And so you don't have to be, you you don't have to allow your heart to be troubled because you know how this all turns out in the end. And so if you are a Christian, you have the benefit of that great hope. If you're not, then it's, it's, it's much more difficult. But Mm -hmm. as a Christian, I can believe that this is all somehow in a way I don't understand working out for the good. And I can rest in that. Such a great answer. Yeah, I thought of the verse, um, 1 Peter 3.15, um, always be prepared, prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that is in you. That presumes that there is hope in us. And so as believers, we need to be able to give a reason for the hope, even when, as you said, 
even even when America doesn't make it, if America doesn't make it, we still have to be able to give a reason, which means we need to be dwelling on the truth that we do have hope and it is it is much deeper rooted than the persistence of uh, the United States of America, which have not always existed, will not always exist. We know in the new heavens of the new earth, Jesus is going to, uh, you know, he's going to make all things right and he is making all things new in his time and in their perfect time. And so I, I think that's an encouraging word for believers who do feel somewhat hopeless. Well, you know, even if everything you and I believe in and are working towards and, and you know, spending our lives dedicated to to fighting for, even if it doesn't amount to changing uh, this country as a whole or changing people's minds as a whole, we still have to be able to give a reason for the hope we have. And that means that our hope is, is not in those things. And so I think that's great. It's encouraging. Um, and thank you so much for the work that you're doing and for sharing that with my audience today. Absolutely. Thanks so much again for having me. I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, oh, you know what? I don't think I asked you, do you have social media people can follow you on? Yeah, everything is at Justin T. Haskins. Okay. Guys, thank you so much for listening. I'm so glad you were here. And if you're confused, I forgot to mention at the beginning, but if you're confused about why this is airing today and not next week, I kind of reneged on my plan to publish every other week. I just, I was really, I could not get it out of my head that stuff is happening fast. The news cycle is, I mean, obviously 24 hours, but there's just so much going on in the world around us. If I really only published every two weeks, I feel that that would not be enough of a pace to keep up with um, uh, the content that I'm even creating right now. So I'm going to continue to publish every week. However, with the caveat that there may be a week here and there that I take off if I have a lot going on in my business, in my personal life. Um, as many of you know, I own a web design and branding you know, graphic design business. Uh, and so that is a place that I have to be a lot of times. And so I, uh, yeah, I will just ask for your grace. If there is a week where I do not publish, that's why, because I just am busy in wife, mom and um, web world. But my plan is to continue to publish every single week. All right. So we're going to just stay the course. You know, I felt like this is not the time to let up the gas. Uh, this is the time to continue to plow ahead. However, I will just, I will need a little extra grace if I do not make it 100% of the weeks to publish on a Monday. However, I will, and for sure, and uh, I guarantee that I will be publishing every Friday over on Fire Shutters. So if you want to have that every single week, for sure, join us over there. Otherwise, I will see you next Monday here on Kindled. All right, guys, have a great week.